0: Good evening. I'd like to read some verses as found in Second Kings, chapter four. Commence to read from verse one, please. Second Kings, chapter four. Commence to read from verse one. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, "Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord." And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons, Bring me another vessel. And he said unto her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. And we know the Lord will bless to us the reading of his precious word. My title tonight is The Oil That Hasn't Run Dry. The writer in Second Kings chapter 4 gives us an insight into a family situation, a family in distress, a family finding themselves in such a dilemma that they don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to solve their problem, how they're going to survive. They are truly in a deep pit, and there seems to be no way out. A wife is coming to terms with the loss of her husband. Two sons are coming to terms with the loss of a father who no doubt they loved and adored and looked up to. The family is coming to terms with the reality that the breadwinner of the family is no longer there. And with that, the concern, the anxiety how are they going to survive? How are they going to keep the roof over their heads? How are they going to put food on the table? And as if that is not devastating enough to be coping with, they're coping with the problem of debt. This woman in her statement to Elisha in the opening verse, I feel we can safely draw from her conclusion and her conversation that this was an honorable family. Her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. This situation that she finds herself in was not brought about by silly ideas, not thinking the situation out, not working out the situation. I feel very much that when her and her husband entered into this agreement to borrow this certain amount of money, they sat down, they looked at their finances, they weighed it up, They've worked out how much surplus they had and whether they can service that credit from the surplus that they had. And they reached the conclusion they could. And had the husband survived, no doubt, everything would have been as they expected. But something happened. Something they hadn't thought of. Something they hadn't anticipated. That the death of the husband. The woman... No doubt had approached the creditors. No doubt she had striven in every way to try and work out a solution an answer to the situation that the family found themselves in. She possibly had appealed to the creditors for more time, maybe to reduce the payments and stretch it out over a longer period. We're not told, but I feel within myself that such a person would have taken such action. And yet all to no avail. She's facing ruination, I suppose is the way we could put it. No hope, no outlook for the future. All that she can see is darkness all around her. And to count that all on top of it, the threat that her two sons will be taken as slaves. According to the law that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 2, where they would find themselves in slavery for seven years. The law that God gave to Moses was at the end of seven years, all slaves were to be set free, all debts were to be canceled. And that is what faced her. That's what faced the family. That was their outlook And it was a terrible outlook indeed to be coping with. And so as we come to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1, we see this woman coming to Elisha. In coming to Elisha, she's not coming to a man. She's coming to God's representative. In coming to Elisha, she's coming to God himself through Elisha. And she's just pouring her heart out. And I'm sure there are those within this congregation tonight can identify with this lady, not with her maybe her circumstances that brought about the situation, but with the situation she faces, of a, tra- a situation where there seems to be no answer, no solution, despite all her, a- her efforts, all her striving, all her trying to work it out. And she comes, and she just falls before God, and she pours out her heart. And we've been there. We have tried. Situations have happened. We have seen them coming. Maybe we haven't been able to stop them. Or maybe just out of the blue, just like that, something happens. And we wonder, where did that come from? What brought that about? How did I end up in this situation? And with our intellect, and with our ability, we try to work it out. But we find, as we always find, we're not successful. And, you know, we come to God. We may say, no, we pray about it. And if we've been honest, it's just a quick prayer. We think we can sort it out. We think that we have the ability, we have the skill to solve the problem. But, you know, when we come to that stage where we're absolutely physically, mentally, spiritually wrecked, exhausted, and we come to God and we just fall before Him, and we pour out our heart, and we tell Him what's on our heart. We tell it as it is, not holding anything back. And you know, God meets the need. When we take the words of the psalmist in Psalm 50 and verse 15, in which he wrote, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. When we read that verse, It's not just a verse in God's Word, but it is a reality. We have had the experience. We can stand upon it and we say what God's Word says is true. And for this dear lady, she comes and she pours out her heart. She tells it as it is. We see her cry. She cried saying, The creditors are come to take my two sons to be bondsmen. In so doing, she confesses her need. She tells it as it is, holding nothing back. And you know, there is not only a need to call out to God, but also a need to confess our need. As in doing so, we are exercising faith, as is indicated and evident in the case of blind Bartimaeus. What do we read in Mark 10? When Jesus brought Bartimaeus to to him, he says, What do you want? What do you need? What do you require? And Bartimaeus didn't say, I need a new suit or clothes. I need a a square meal. He says, I need to save my sight. And what did Jesus say? Go your way. Your faith hath made you whole. Bartimaeus came to the point, and so often when we come before God, we go round in circles. We talk in circles. We don't come out and say exactly what we need, what is required. But this woman did, and she confessed her need. And you know what we find was that grace was offered to her. For in verse 2, Elisha said, What shall I do for thee? Elisha is God's representative flings back, as it were, the doors of heaven, that she might ask what she will. It was surely the offer of grace sufficient to all her need. In coming before God, she realized and acknowledged, if God cannot meet my need, if God cannot release me from this pressure, this burden cannot lift me above these circumstances, there's no hope at all. But she came to God. And she found grace. And as God is able to meet the need, he's able to meet the need with what she had. The question was asked, what have you got in the house? And her immediate answer was nothing. And when you think about that, just give a wee thought to it. The house was bare. I feel very much the picture was simply there wasn't a stick of furniture in the house. The best china and all her precious ornaments were gone. Everything was sold. Everything was sold to try and raise money to service this debt. And this jar of oil, do you know, it was just sitting on a window ledge. You know, sometimes I was just thinking this afternoon when we decide to decorate a room or whatever and we start clearing everything out, we find something, we just lift it and set it in the windowsill. And I feel very much that's just where that jar of oil was. Just sitting on the windowsill, on the ledge. There was nothing else in the room. Everything had gone. And as she thought, she says, nothing in the room. And then she says, oh, I have a wee jar of oil. And the thought came to me, no, if that oil had been worth anything, it wouldn't have been sitting there, it would have been sold. But yet that's what God was going to use to meet her need. But in meeting her need, there was preparation to be made. The instruction in verse 3 was, Go borrow thee vessels, empty vessels, and take note of that last bit, not a few. It wasn't just go and borrow a few vessels go and borrow vessels. How big's your faith? How big's your faith? That will to determine how many vessels you borrow. And as I thought of the practicalities of that instruction, I thought to myself, I wonder how some of you would feel if I turned up at your door tonight and I asked to borrow your saucepans and your bowls and your dishes. <laughs> what answer would I get? And if I was successful in borrowing them, what instructions would I get in regard to keeping them in good condition, bringing them back clean, and when they should be returned? It took a measure of faith to do what she was instructed to do. I wonder, never she came to Elisha, Did she think, well, maybe he'll do this, maybe he'll do that, maybe he'll do it in a particular way? We're not told, but I feel I can safely say she never imagined that the outworking of God's plan for her situation would involve knocking doors, borrowing saucepans, bowls, and dishes. And there are times in our experience when we feel, God, why don't you do something? Why isn't something happening? And sometimes God starts to work, and we say, God, what are you doing that for? What are you doing it that way for? Why don't you do it that way? Wouldn't it be more simpler to do it that way? Because that's the way we think. But God knows what he's doing. And God, in every circumstance and situation, works out his plan and purpose. And this woman didn't argue with God's plan. She was just glad that there was a plan, and God was working on her behalf. The relative value of each vessel was not according to how beautiful the vessel was, whether it was pleasing to the eye, but it was its capacity to receive. And then we see faith rewarded. She poured out, and the vessels were filled Surely it was a great crisis in this woman's life when she shut the door upon her and her sons and ventured into the presence of God alone to claim the promise by faith. When one has made up his or her mind to shut the door and definitely prove God, there will surely be a marvelous outpouring. She could not make the oil any more than we can manufacture the saving grace of God. But she could hold the vessel and trust God to cause the oil to flow. Her faith was rewarded to the very uttermost, for every vessel was filled. And then we are told in verse 6, The oil stayed. Why? Because there was not a vessel more to be filled. The reality of this situation is as long as there was an empty vessel and faith to use the gift of God, there was no shortage. Deliverance was accomplished. Go sell the oil and pay the debt. Having received the gift of God, she is able now to meet all the claims of the creditors. Her and her sons were saved by grace alone. But not only was there deliverance, but there was provision made, for there was a surplus. Live thou and thy children of the rest. The oil which saved them from debt and slavery was also to sustain them for the future. And as we give thought to this woman's situation and the transformation that took place, we see a family who had no hope No future. Everything was dark before them. And now we see them. The pressure has gone. The need has been met. The threat has been lifted. They have not only hope for the present day, but hope for the future. Not only have they provision for the present day, they have provision for the future. What a transformation in this family's life. And as I thought of this situation, I began to ask questions. I began to ask questions. And the first question that came to mind was simply this. Pardon me. Did the woman woman receive all that God wanted to give her? Her testimony surely was, I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. Paul writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Speaking of Jesus now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This woman could say that those words that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church were her testimony, were her reality. Could she have imagined such a transformation? Could she have imagined such a change for her and her family? No. But then again, I wonder, did she, as we would say in the cool light of day, the creditors paid, the threat removed, and with money in her pocket, did she think to herself, if only I had borrowed a few more vessels what a difference it would have made. She was very grateful to God. Had God only dealt with the debt and lifted that burden from her, she would have been, as we say, over the moon. She would be delighted. She would be dancing up and down the street. But God did more than that for her. He gave her a hope. He gave her a future. But what if... For example, she collected 50 vessels and filled 50 vessels and 50 vessels paid the debt. 50 vessel, the vessels left enough money over for her to live on, not only for that present day, but for the foreseeable future. What if she had borrowed 100? How much more would she have had? How much def- more security? How much more of an outlook may she have had? See, the oil only stopped when there was no more vessels to be filled. God did not say, I will give you so much oil, and that's it. No, no. The limit of the blessing was not limited by God, but by the availability of vessels to be filled. And the questions still keep coming. The next question came to me was, Have we, as Christians, received all that God wants to give us? We were like this woman. We were in a hopeless situation without a hope, without a future in our sinfulness. And we had tried, no doubt, many times to turn it around, to change, to alter. And maybe certain periods in our life, we thought, hey, we're succeeding, we're getting there, but it was only short lived. But then Jesus came. And he revealed himself to us as our Savior. He revealed to us that we were sinners in need of salvation. And we accepted that. We acknowledged him as our Savior. We acknowledged we were sinners. We called out to him as this lady did. We called out to him. And he heard us. And he saved us. And he forgave us our sins. And he has given us a hope and a future. Not only for the present. But for eternity. And we look at our lives today and we see the transformation and we are amazed. For we know the effort we put in to try and turn our lives around and we fail most miserably. And while we are grateful for our salvation, we often ask, Is there more? I want to tell you, according to God's word, there's more. The prophet Joel, in approximately 800 BC, prophesied the following, as recorded in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterwards, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in Corinthians 12, Verses 7 to 11 informs them of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry, commenting on this situation in 1 Corinthians 12, sets it out as follows. To one is given the word of wisdom, a knowledge, that is, of the mysteries of the gospel, an ability to explain them. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit that is a skill and a readiness to give advice and counsel in perplexed cases. To another, faith by the same Spirit where they were able to trust God in any emergency. To another, the gift of healing by the same Spirit, that is healing of the sick. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy, that is to bring the Word of God to the church. To another, the discerning of spirits, that is, power to distinguish between true and false prophets. To another, diverse kinds of tongues, or ability to speak languages by inspiration of the Spirit, that is, languages that are not learnt. To another, the interpretation of tongues, or ability to translate a foreign language. And God's Word reminds us that they are not distributed for the advancement of those who had them, but for the benefit of the church. Whatever gifts God confers on any man, he confers them that he may do good with them. They are a trust put in his hand. They are are not given for show, but for service. As Paul highlights it in Ephesians 4 and 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying, of the body of Christ. And yet, in the church in this 21st century in which we find ourselves, some say that the pouring out of the Spirit, the bestowing upon, is not for today. But there is no record in God's Word that this is the case, but rather that of such pouring out and bestowing was necessary then, how much more it is necessary in these last of the last days. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes Prophet Joel in Acts 2, verses 17 to 21. When they came out on the day of Pentecost, after being in the upper room, the people's attitude were was, These men are drunk with new wine. But what does Peter say in verse sixteen? No, but this is what was spoken by the Prophet Joel. AC Row speaking on the gifts and of, uh, of God, says the activities and teaching concerning the gifts are seen in Scripture from Pentecost onwards for approximately 40 years. They are set before us in the sacred canon for our reception. Then they are recorded in early, early church history as being an operation in the church for about the first three centuries. These gifts have never been withdrawn, by the Holy Ghost. John Wesley takes up the theme and states the following Because the love of many, almost of all Christians so called, was wax cold, this was the real cause why the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost were no longer to be found in the Christian church in his day. That was a statement he made during his time of ministry. And as I was turning these various statements over in my mind, I was saying to the Lord, I need an illustration. You know, preachers like an illustration now and again. And I was trying to think, well, how am I going to emphasize this? And the Lord brought the following to me, and I trust you'll excuse the personal reference. I am a bit of a DIY guy. I wouldn't say I'm great, but I I turn my hand to many a thing. And over the years, I have acquired, and it got bought for me, DIY tools. They're not the best that money can buy, but they do the job. But our oldest son doesn't entertain DIY tools. He's an engineer. You only have to stand in his workshop, and you're aware of that fact. I would spend a few pounds, he would spend hundreds. And we have teamed up over the years on various projects, And what becomes very evident that when I'm using his tools, it takes less effort, the job gets done faster. It's not that I'm better with his tools, but the powers in the tools that he has compared to the power that's in mine. Do you get what I'm saying? You know, I grew up in a church in which the gifts were in operation. As according to Ephesians 4, and 11, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and of the nine gifts. And in my early life, growing up as a young lad, I witnessed such gifts in operation. But what I did notice as I got older, as different ones went home to their eternal reward, those who had operated in the gifts, there seems to be a gap, a lack of people interested And concerned to seek God for the gifts to replace those who had gone to the reward. When I came into the pastorate, I noticed even those who had operated the gifts were no longer functioning. And so I made some discreet inquiries, and the outcome was simple. Some had lost interest. Some had decided they hadn't the time to wait upon God for their ministry. Others told me they didn't want to carry the weight of responsibility. And I feel that's very sad. And I feel there are many within the Christian church today, that's where they are. You know, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Matthew 9 and 37... He said to them, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, the laborers surely need to have the best tools to get the job done. A farmer of old would never dream of selling a squad of laborers into the fields to bring in the harvest with a blunt scythe. He would make sure that their scythes were sharp because if they were blunt, it would require more effort. It would take more time to get the harvest in. But not only would he make sure that they had sharp sides to do the job, he'd also make sure they had the means to keep the scythe sharp at all times. We're reminded of the words of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6 and 3, in which he says, I am doing a great work. The church today in this 21st century is involved in a great work. We are doing a great work. But the question surely must be, are we fully equipped to do the work that God has called us to do? Mrs. Morris throws out the challenge in the hymn that she wrote. When she wrote, Are you looking for the fullness of the blessing of the Lord in your heart and life today? Claim the promise of your Father. Come according to his word in the blessed old-time way. Bring your empty earthen vessels clean through Jesus' precious blood. Come ye needy one and all and in human consecration wait before the throne of God till the Holy Ghost shall fall. He will fill your heart today to overflowing as the Lord commandeth you. Bring your vessels, not a few. God is still in the business of filling hearts to overflowing with the Holy Ghost and power today. Again, A.C. Rowe wrote, The Holy Spirit wishes you to covet them earnestly until your longing to receive them meets the waiting longing of God to give the union issues in an impartation of a gift of the Holy Spirit's. Gifts are for all today. The woman was instructed to enter into her house and close the door. What God was about to give her was to take place in secret. The scripture speaks in Matthew 6 and 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The blessings of his grace... Although in him there is infinite fullness, yet they are too precious to be poured out and spilt where there is not the empty vessel of a needy whole heart. There are those who talk joyfully of times past when God-given oil flowed freely. But the question is, why is it staid now? The conclusion I come to is this that there's no more emptiness. As the woman called out to her son for another empty vessel, I believe God is calling out to his church in this present day in which we find ourselves. He's calling out for empty vessels into which he can pour of his Spirit. Not just a little drop on the bottom, not just half filled, not just to full, but full to overflowing. I feel God is asking the question of each and every one of us found here tonight. Do you want to be filled? Do you want to be filled and filled to overflowing? You know, when we look on the day of Pentecost and those that were gathered in the upper room, the door was bolted closed for fear of the Jews. They were fearful. They were anxious. They were concerned. They were worried. What's going to happen to us? What is the future going to hold? How are we going to survive? What are we going to do? But when God, by His Spirit, came, you know, I have this picture of somebody pulling the bolts back and throwing the door to the back wall, and they just poured out. (laughs) What had happened? They had received the power. Before that, they had heard about the power. They had been told about it. But now they have had the experience, and they are transformed people. And as they poured out onto those streets in Jerusalem, we know what happened. Some 3,000 were added to the church in one day. A fire was lit that has burned for over 2,000 years all over the world. It's still burning today. But sometimes I feel there are areas in which the flame is dimmed. There's just a bit of a smoke, just a bit of smoldering. But yet, when we see God, He can come by His Spirit, He can breathe on that smoldering embers. He could cause it to burst forth into flame once again. He can revive his church, revive his people. Oh, for a fresh anointing. That we will move forward as those who walked out of that upper room in in Jerusalem did. And we will not be fearful of man and what he would say and what he would do. But as God instructs us, we will say thus and thus, saith the Lord. Thank you.